In this session, we'll once again uh, examine the problem of stress as it relates to both our society and our personal lives. And uh, more importantly, we'll find some practical solutions to an ever-increasing phenomenon. And the reason I say that, I don't know how many of you saw the article in Friday's, uh, in the Orange County Register in Friday in the business section. Here's the title. Service sector injuries on the rise. Mental stress claims skyrocket in the state. Let me just take a minute just to read this to you. It says, California workers are getting injured on the job less than they used to, but workplace ailments such as carpal tunnel syndrome and mental stress continue to rise. Figures released by the Department of Industrial Relations show. During 1990, injuries in labor-intensive jobs such as manufacturing and construction declined. That's because no one's working in those areas. But declined with employment in those sectors. At the same time, a higher percentage of white-collar workers sustained injuries in service and government jobs than actually entered those workforces. Burgeoning stress claims, however, appear to be unique to California, one of the few states to consider mental stress a job-related injury. Claims for anxiety reactions and other disorders increased to 10,444 from 7,708 and 9,368. The problem, however, is that further the stress claims only represent a quarter of actual findings since uh, those who report such things as back injuries often report stress as well, but they don't consider those in the statistics. Anyway, taking into account the increase in the workforce, stress injuries have increased 586% over the past 10 years. One potential explanation is that jobs are becoming more stressful, says Tom Perry, director of research at the California Workers' Compensation Institute. You want to know where those workman comp funds go that you pay? I mean, listen to this for a second. This is his explanation. One potential explanation is that jobs are becoming more stressful. Another is that social norms have changed and people have different expectations about what their employers owe them. But I don't think anyone has the stats to show what's causing it. Legislatures and employers are likely to use the data to support further controls on claims for mental stress and stepped-up fraud enforcement. Those issues held up the, the passage of the state budget last summer after employers claimed that too many employees were filling anxiety-related injury claims for run-of-the-mill job stress or in, re, or in retaliation for being laid off. Interesting. I like what he said, though, but I don't think anyone has stats to show what's causing it. And I disagree with him. Because I believe that um, there are statistics, so to speak, and I believe that there are causes that the Bible clearly talks about. And uh, that's what we're going to take a look at today. The, the problem, however, is most of us want instant fixes for everything. I mean, that's the society that we live in. We want It's broke, we want it fixed right away. And... Uh, the reality of it is is that it's going to require some work on our part in order to be able to deal with stress. If you're stressed out, there are some very good reasons why you're stressed out as well as some solutions that we're going to talk about. But uh, I like the story that I heard about a, uh, a man who grew up in the hills of West Virginia. And apparently this man uh, had grown up in the backwoods. He had never been to a big city. And he ended up marrying a gal who had never been out of the backwoods. And as you can imagine, where else is he going to meet her if he'd never gone anywhere? So he met her there. And uh, both of them, neither one of them had ever been out of, the, out of the city. Well, they got married and they had a son whom they creatively named Junior. And uh, 
they began to realize that as Junior approached his 16th birthday that he had never been anywhere and was ill-prepared to, uh, to meet the challenges of life. So Papa and Mama decided that they were going to save their money and they were going to take a trip into the big city. Well, he was 16 at the time. It took him three years to do it. And on his 19th birthday, they all loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly. <laughs> no. And they all, loaded up the, the, they all loaded up the truck and they all went into the big city. Well, Papa was a little nervous because they had never been to a city and he, and he was concerned for his wife. So he told Mama, he said, look, you stay in the pickup truck and Junior and I will go check things out. So they pulled up to this really nice hotel where they planned to stay for the weekend. They had never been there, and as they pulled up to the curb, a doorman came out and opened the door, and they were just blown away with that. And they walked over to the door, and all of a sudden the door opened up, and they had never seen anything like that. They went inside, and they were just in awe, a three-story building with chandeliers hanging down from the middle of the lobby area. And uh, just as they got excited about one thing, they turned and they looked at another thing, and uh, Junior yells, Pa, look at this, an, in- an indoor ice skating rink. And as they turned around, they saw it was an indoor shopping mall. People were coming and going. And there were all these different stores. And there was a million things going on. And they were just blown away by what they saw. There were, there were stairs that you don't even have to walk up to get upstairs. And there was a waterfall. And there was a fountain. And there were all these things. And they were just blown away. And there was this clicking noise that they continued to hear as they were looking around. And they turned around and they saw that there was like a box. That the doors would open and people would go in and the box would close. And the little lights would light up above the the, the doors. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. And they just stood just in awe of this. And finally, they turned around and there was one little old wrinkled old lady getting inside the elevator. The doors closed. She disappeared. Ten seconds later, the doors opened. And this gorgeous, 20-year-old blonde haired blue eyed beauty comes walking out and Papa just his, his jaw dropped and he looked over at Junior and he said Junior quick go get Mama <laughs> well some of us are like Papa you know we're looking for that instant fix but uh, I think what we're going to find to be, to be truthful about it there are some things that we need to do in order to deal with stress in our life. And uh, the last time we got together, we saw that there was a biblical answer for stress, and it was found in Proverbs chapter 3, in verses 5 and 6. It says, To trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. The biblical answer to stress begins with a very simple concept and that is that we need to trust in the Lord it says with all our heart the problem is in order to trust in the Lord or to trust in anyone we have to have an ongoing relationship with that person see if a stranger comes up to me and says hey trust me well I'll give you an example this is this is, I don't know why this thing's clicking, but kind of bear with it. It's probably my teeth. I keep dropping. And, but, uh, but here's a good example. This past week was my wife's birthday. And so after spending several birthdays together, I run out of like ideas. But I, but I had one idea, and that was to spend the day with her. 
and then we just kind of wing it from there. Dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> but so we drove, we drove to San Diego, and it was such a beautiful day. And we went to lunch, and we had a wonderful time. And we had like a whole afternoon to kill. And we had never been to Tijuana. <laughs> now, how many guys can make the claim of taking their lady to Tijuana as a special day? I can't even believe I'm telling anybody. <laughs> but hey, you do this often enough, you run out of good illustrations. You just got to be vulnerable and just let it all loose, you know what I mean? So anyway, here we go. We go to Tijuana. We figured we'd leave our car on this side because we just got it and we want to keep it. <laughs> so that's what we did. So we walked over and we walked into town and we didn't take the taxi and we didn't know where we were going, but we knew wherever we were going, we'd get there faster walking. And so we walked into town and we walked around and we had a great time. And I've come to the conclusion that Tijuana is the garage sale capital of the world. And we spent the afternoon kind of walking around. And anyway, we bought this piece of junk <laughs> because I had to get her something. <laughs> it was her birthday. And I couldn't just rest on taking her to Tijuana, right? So, no, we got this thing. And, uh, and the guy, I gave him some money, and he said, I'll be right back with your change. <laughs> I must look really stupid. And I said, no, you won't. I'll hold it, you go get the change, and bring it to me. I'm just a cynical kind of guy. Well, and the point that I use is because I just don't trust anybody. Do you? I didn't know this guy from anyone. I could give him money and expect him to come back and him do a disappearing routine. And where am I going to find him? And who am I going to tell? <laughs> I'm telling on you. <laughs> No way. So there's no way I'm not giving the guy the money. But the point I'm trying to make is that you can't trust someone that you don't know. And that, I mean, that's logical, right? You just don't trust people you don't know. How foolish we are if we do. And so here, here the Bible says the biblical answer to stress is this, to trust in the Lord. Well, how can you trust in someone you don't know? How can you have a trust in someone that you don't have a relationship with? And so there's a fundamental problem that we have in dealing with stress, and that is that stress is impossible to deal with if you don't have a relationship with the Lord that you're supposed to trust. It sounds so simple, but it really isn't. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And so you notice that um, basically the way that this thing works out is that we have certain responsibilities, and God makes promises. And he does that all throughout all throughout the Bible. God says, if you do this, I'll do that. A lot of things are conditional. Some things aren't conditional at all. God says he's going to do it because he wants to do it. And it doesn't matter whether we do what we're supposed to do or not. But in this particular case, our responsibility is to trust, to trust in the Lord. We are held responsible to trust in the Lord. Do you realize that? We will, never, we, will, we will never have an excuse before God to say, well, I didn't know anything about you, therefore I never trusted in you. The reality of what the Bible says is all of us are responsible for our individual decisions as to whether we will trust in Christ or not. It's as simple as that. 
My responsibility is to trust in him. My responsibility is not to lean on my own understanding. My responsibility to, is to acknowledge him, acknowledge the Lord in everything that I do. In every decision that I make, in every area of my life, all the areas where I'm stressed out right now, my responsibility is to trust Him in that area. My responsibility is not to lean on my own understanding. My responsibility is to acknowledge Him and who He is and what He can do. And you know what God promises? That He will make our paths straight. And so what I want to do just for a second, and, and uh, I want to kind of use this as a foundation for something further that we're going to talk about today, is just to define the words. Just to define the words. Go down through it and look and see what, what the Bible actually teaches. What does it mean to trust God? The Hebrew term means that you're to cast yourself. I'm to cast myself fully and absolutely at another's feet. The picture of total dependence, the picture of uh, uh, total trust, if you would, the, t- the picture of recognizing who it is that I'm putting my confidence in. And it says very simply that we're to trust, to cast ourselves, to, to cast myself. You know, you, you do what you want to do, but I am responsible to cast myself with all my problems and all the circumstances and all the stress-related things that we go through, I am to cast myself fully at His feet because I can trust Him. When I'm laying before Him and my face is down, I know He's not going to smack me in the back of the head with a baseball bat. I know I can be vulnerable. I know that He's trustworthy. You know, it's interesting because 1 Peter 5 says that we're to cast all our cares upon Him because He cares for us. Speaking of that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, the Bible clearly teaches, Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And if you want to keep in context what we're talking about, Jesus says, hey, you know what? Come unto me, all of you who are all stressed out. And you know what I'll do? I'll give you rest. I'll comfort you. There's security there. There's confidence there. There's comfort there. And that's what he's talking about. Solomon's saying, hey, if you're stressed out, You need to cast yourself fully at the feet of the God you say you believe in. Trusting Him. And He'll comfort you. It says it's with all of our heart. It's with all of our heart. It's that inner person. It's our intellect. It's our emotion. It's our will. There's an area or a niche of our life that we separate and keep aside. You know, how many of you have done this trick before? Well, this area of my life I'll take care of it myself. I'll trust in him in all these things. But this one thing, I got to take care of this myself. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Every area of life. Whatever it is. What are you stressed out about? You need to trust him in that area. Unconditionally. Unreservedly. Laying it all out and say, Lord, here it is. I can't handle this. You take it. That's what he's talking about. And by the way, we're commanded to do it. Let me just, I was wrestling with this, kind of putting it all together, and I was thinking, you know, what happens when God commands us to do something and we're disobedient? Take a wild guess. What? Pay the price. 
There's consequences. Now stop and think about that for a minute. If we are commanded to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, don't hold back in any area of our life, and not to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge Him in all of our ways, every area of everything, and we don't do that, could it be that one of the consequences of that disobedience is being stressed out? Just a thought. Could it be possible? I think so. See, what he's saying is, is that we need to cast all our cares upon him with no hesitation, no reservations, and that we're not to lean on our own understanding. Here's a problem that I've seen that creates stress in the long run. It seems like a short-term solution, but I'll give you some examples and you tell me. You're in a jam today. The Bible clearly teaches certain precepts. Now, you know the difference between uh, uh, maybe a precept and a principle? Does anybody know the difference between the two? A commandment of God, I say a precept. Okay, here, here, let me illustrate it this way. The sign says, speed limit 35 miles an hour. All right? That's a precept, non-negotiable. Another sign says, drive carefully. That's a principle on which there's a lot of room for interpretation. See, what we have here is that there's a precept that says, trust in God. There's no room for interpretation. It's not a principle. It's a command. And so as you go through it, you begin to realize that what happens is this. We get in a jam... And, and we think the jam is causing us to be stressed out. So then we turn to our own reasoning of how to get out of the jam. And it violates the precepts or the commandments of God. You thought you were in a jam before you violated the precepts of God. You ain't seen nothing like the jam that disobedience causes and the stress that's related to that. Dumb example, uh, but very accurate. Got a friend who's dating someone, and the reason that he's dating this particular person is because he can't find a good Christian girl. He's all stressed out because he can't get a relationship going with anyone, so he ends up dating so-and-so. So he begins to date so-and-so, and he ends up with more problems than he could ever imagine because he got involved in a relationship that violated some known commandments of God. It's no different than a person who's having financial problems. And what they do is they begin to somehow rationalize. They turn to their own human understanding of how to get out of the jam. How am I going to get out of this stressful situation? Well, I'm going to manipulate this or I'm going to manipulate that. I'm going to cheat on my expense account. I've got to get some extra revenue. I'll do some things under the table. Whatever it is, we turn to our own understanding because we're stressed out. And you ain't seen nothing like the stress that you're going to have after all the dust settles of trying to fix it yourself. And so what I'm trying to get across here is that the Bible clearly says to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not to lean on our own understanding. Don't try to get yourself out of the jam that you're in because most of the time, the jam that we're in, we got into because we try to 
do something on our own. Or if we're in a jam, it's because God has put us in that position to help us to grow and to strengthen us. And so as we see this, he says, hey, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't look toward human wisdom. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, great illustration of, hey, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't, 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 don't turn to those who, who aren't going to give you good biblical counsel for the problem that you're in. Make sure you've got people around you who will keep you honest as far as the word of God is concerned. And he goes on and says, don't lean. Very simple, to support oneself as though leaning for assistance. Judges chapter 16, it's, it's, used, it's a word that's used of uh, Samson as he's leaning on the pillars. And let's get this straight. Every one of us are leaning on something. I got guys come up to me and say, you know, that's just a Christianity's a crutch. I say, well, what do you want me to do, argue with you? And they kind of look at you like, like, gee, you're the first person to ever said that, yeah, that's right. Well, think about it. It is. If you really stop and think about it, Jesus said, lean all yourself on me. Let me hold you up. And so as I begin to talk to somebody that says, I said, well, let me ask you this. What are you leaning on? Well, I'm not leaning on anything. I'm a man's man. I said, is that right? How about your bank account? How about your position in life? How about your title? How about your things? How about the two martinis you need to drink every day just to get through the day? Huh? How about drugs? How about cigarettes? I talked to someone who's an airline stewardess because I brought it up a couple weeks ago, and they said that, you know, with this, this you talk about stressed out passengers. I mean, you, you can't smoke on an airplane now. It's like we got people trying to figure out some other way to get there. I mean, I can't smoke. She said they've had to physically remove people off of planes who start going crazy because they can't smoke. Now, wait a minute. You know, let's not be too harsh on them because everybody's leaning on something. Right? People got to get through the day without a couple of beers. Everybody's leaning on something. And so all the Bible says is, lean on someone who's trustworthy. Lean on someone who won't let you fall on your face. Lean on someone who's not going to end up leading you into a rehab center. Lean on someone who's reliable. So, lean on him. It just says that we are to acknowledge, to recognize him for who he is. Acknowledge him, and you know what he promises? That he'll make it straight. He'll straighten out the mess of your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll straighten out the mess of your life. He'll remove all the obstacles. He'll remove the stumbling blocks. And those are things that keep you from enjoying life as God intended it to be enjoyed. He says, just take it all out of your life. He'll remove it. He'll make it smooth. So I don't know, you need to put it in your own words so it makes sense. But I just put it in something like this. You know what? I need to throw myself completely on the mercy of God in every area of my life. The first place I need to turn is to His Word, to His principles, to His precepts, to His commands. I need to just turn to Him to get the answers to what's causing stress in my life. I need to see what He has to say about resolving it. I need to see what He has to say about what's caused it. I need to just hop on His back because He wants to take me for a ride. 
Let's jump on. Okay, Lord, cast all your cares upon you. Here I come. I'm jumping on. I can't handle it myself. I try to handle it myself, and I just end up getting more stressed out. Or I'm making a bigger mess of it than it was before, so I need to just turn to you. You know what? And I guess I'm a man, man enough to admit it. And there's a big difference because I recognize my limitations. I can't do everything. And so he just says, jump on. And you know what the great thing is? God promises he'll do his part if we do ours. You trust him in every area of your life. And he'll straighten out the mess that you've made that's led you to stressville. But there's some other things that we need to talk about that have to do with some practical ways to resolve stress in your life. There's another side of it, and I think the Bible gives us some great insight, but I want to share the first one with you, and that has to do with this. Reject the notion that you're the only one that can do the job. And that has to do with a simple concept called delegate. Delegate. Reject the notion that you're the only one that can do the job. How many of you have this mentality? If you want something done right, do it yourself. Right? How many of you kind of lean that direction? Yeah, well, you're not going to like what I have to say. I was afraid of that, but not, not afraid so much that I'm not going to tell you, but I knew that was going to happen. If you're inclined to be of that, if you want something done right, do it yourself mentality, I'll guarantee you that you be one of the most stressed out people that anyone's going to ever want to be around. Now you say, well, it's my life, I can do what I want. That's true. However, how many of you live with a person like that? How fun is it? Not a whole bunch of fun. What happens? You, you cause other people to be stressed out. So we need to deal with this problem right now. Because it's not just your life that you affect, it's everybody around you. And uh, I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, is this really biblical? I mean, what is this guy talking about? Let, let me just ask you to do something. Turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18. I'll tell you what, if you're bent this direction... That you, everything, if you want it done right, you've got to do it yourself. There is some important lesson in this particular passage for you. And the last thing you need to do, that's all the kids of moms that are like that, saying, Amen, hallelujah, preaching. I don't know where they are, though. But Exodus chapter 18, look at verse 13. And it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about Moses from the morning until evening. It says, now when Moses' father-in-law saw that all, he was, all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. Well, when they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and make known the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. 
you will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. I was driving down the freeway the other day, and they got these trick little things to get all the trucks out, out of your way. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Usually the trucks are lining up in the right-hand lane so you can just get around them. It's a pretty neat idea. Kind of frees the freeway up for just a little bit while the trucks go in. What are they doing? Thank you very much. There are scales. How many of you ever have seen that interesting little thing? Not as interesting to you as it is to me. That's all right. What are they doing? They're getting weighed, right? Why? Very good. Why? Because there are weight limits on our freeway system. There are weight limits to cross certain bridges. We were doing a job the other day and we, we were going to put a couple of huge air conditioners on this old building. And the first thing I wanted to get straight with the people that were doing it was that you will assume the responsibility to make sure the structural calculations are done in the engineering report to make sure if we set this up there, it doesn't come down onto the first floor. You know, really like it to stay up there. Why? Because there are limitations, there are load limitations on the building's roof. You just can't stick anything up there. And guess what? You're no different, and I'm no different. We all have our limitations. We all have limitations. I don't know how much you can handle, and you don't either, until usually you crack. And so what, what he's saying is, and, and what Moses' father-in-law very clearly said is, you know what? Hey, what you're doing is no good. Why wasn't it any good? Why wasn't it any good? Look what he says in verse 18. You're going to burn yourself out. Not only are you going to burn yourself out, but just think how disgusting it must have been to be in a line. Well, see, you know what? I think this was what we used to model our judicial system. It took forever to get anything resolved. They had lines of people that never ended. They had disputes that continued to go on, as Solomon said, because justice wasn't executed efficiently and, and quickly and swiftly so that it would resolve it so that people would learn from it and they wouldn't continue to do the same thing. When justice isn't executed swiftly, what happens is all hell breaks loose in a society because people don't see anybody paying for the crimes that they committed because the court systems take forever to get to it. And here's a counsel from God, a godly man that says, man, you know what, if you keep doing this, you're going to get worn out, and all the people are going to get worn out, and they're going to get frustrated with the system because it doesn't work, and there's going to be anarchy, there's going to be chaos, and people are going to get stressed out. So what does he say to do? How many of you just feel like you're just, you can't handle it anymore? you got a million things going on, and you're involved in every decision of every area of life, of everybody's life. Don't raise your hand, but I want to ask you a question. <laughs> Why? Some of us have to be involved in everything. We got to give input on everything. We got to be involved in every decision that's made by every person that we know. Why? I don't know. Why? Why? I don't know. 
Do you know? Let me ask you a question. Is that you? Is that your life? You're involved in everything? That's not good. And you're burned out. And you cause the people around you to get burned out. And so he comes up with a very simple solution. Look what he says to do. Now listen to me. That's a good start. Listen to me. Listen to what God has to say. There's a solution. Let me give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all those people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. What a wonderfully simple game plan. Now don't misunderstand. He didn't say, hey Moses, don't do anything. And that's where we usually, you know, we're people of extremes. We got a million things going on, so what do we do? We don't do anything. I got to back away from everything. I'm burned out, man. I'm stressed out. I got to get away from everything. See, we go from one extreme to the other. And that's not what God says to do. He says, you got too many things going on? Then you need to eliminate some of those things. You need to delegate some of those things to others. And if you delegate them to the wrong people, you'll be more stressed out than before. And so he laid out the qualifications of who we should delegate things to. Able men or women, I'll say. Able men or women who fear God first responsibility. I'll tell you what, if you're in business, first responsibility should be to surround yourself with people who fear God. You know why? Because you can't watch them all the time. You've got to have men and women around you who recognize first accountability is to God who sees everything that they do. So whether you're there or you're not there, whether the boss is away, you know, the mice will play. No, not for a man or woman of God. doesn't matter whether the quote boss is there or not. Surround yourself with godly people. People who fear God. People of truth. Those who hate dishonest gain. And those who have leadership potential. See, he said that, that's the requirement. To delegate to people like that. How many of you have bosses who delegate things to you only to watch everything that you do and to correct everything that you do that, that they don't like the way it was done? Does that stress you out? You better believe it does. Notice what he said. He says what you need to do is you need to teach. You need to train. Let me, let me just get a little personal here. In your homes. I can't encourage this enough. But as parents, our responsibility before God is to teach them and train them in the things of God. Not to make every decision for them but to help them to think, to teach them why they should do certain things. Not because I say so, but because here's why. We need to teach them the, the, the commandments, the precepts, the principles of God, 
and we need to back off and allow them to make decisions and sometimes they're going to make mistakes. But you and I cannot continually make decisions for them and still prepare them for what lies ahead in their life. You know, Papa had a pretty good idea. He needed to take Junior to the city. He needed to prepare him for the future. He couldn't isolate him all of his life from the realities of this world. And God knows, moms and dads, we want to do it. We try to do it. We try to keep things from our kids. We try to protect them from the nasty world that we live in. But all we do is we send a generation of kids out into the world who are ill-equipped to handle the stresses of life. Let me ask you a question. Does it really matter what drawer they put their underwear in? Or where the shovel hangs in the garage? Does it really matter? Oh, but we're teaching them discipline. You know what? See, those are the principles and the precepts again. Maybe, Dad, the principle should be, I want to make sure that everything's put in the garage instead of left out in the driveway. Where you put it and how you put it, I'll give you some freedom to do that. Moms, maybe the, the, uh, the principle is, I want your room clean and uh, you decide what closet you want to put whatever it is you want to put in, but I just want your room clean. See, we try to tell our kids what to do all the time, and they're ill-prepared for the world that they have to then go one day and live in without our help. So, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to hammer on anybody here, but I think that what we're, what we're reading here will help us to resolve stress in our life. There's the little things of life stress us out. And all I can say is, who cares what drawer their underwear is in? As long as they're still wearing it. <laughs> and they're still picking it up. I know, now some of you workaholic types, some of you people that have to be done your way, you're going to struggle with this, and you're going to think, I'm off my rocker. But you need to examine yourself and ask yourself some tough questions. Why does everything in life have to be done the way I want it done? Why does it have to be done my way or no way? Stressville. Because not everybody's going to do things your way. And you know what? <laughs> not always is your way the only way to get something done. See, if you've got people who work for you in business, then you'll begin to realize very shortly that, you know what? There's a general principle that you want to follow. There are certain things that are non-negotiable. But there are a lot of other things you've got to give people the freedom and the creativity to pursue on their own. You set the rules and the standards, and then you allow them to go about accomplishing that task. And just be available if they have a question or a problem or concern. But don't go in and tell them to change it and have it done your way in an area that really there's a lot of flexibility in. All that you do is you stifle the people who are around you to the point where you stress them out, you're all stressed out, and there's nothing but friction and tension. And you know what, what, what we see here is very wise counsel. It says, you know what? Give people room to develop the gifts that God has given them. In church, 1 Corinthians 12, God says that all of us are given a certain gift when we come to know Christ. And we're to exercise that gift. We're to be part of a body and everybody is exercising their gift and when everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, you know what happens? There's unity, there's harmony, there's cohesiveness, there's no stress, there's no burnout, there's no one thinking, like, you know, if I don't do it, and, and you know what, don't ever let anybody tell you this. You know what? You're the only one who can do the job. 
You know what I tell them? I bet you if I died today, you'd find somebody else tomorrow. So save it for somebody else that you can lay this guilt complex on because I don't buy it. I know my gift. I know what God wants me to do. And when I say no to other people and they get upset or offended by that, that's not my problem. That's their problem. We all need to find what God wants us to do and do it. And you know what you'll find? You're going to love it. It's enjoyable. It's great. It's fun. It doesn't look like work. See, God doesn't want His people to be running around, Oh, woe is me, I'm serving the Lord today. Oh, woe is you, oh, I should stop it because you're keeping other people from seeing how wonderful it is to know Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to do what God has gifted you to do. See, the Bible doesn't say back off completely. It says find your niche and enjoy it. And do it. See, we've got people of extremes. We're either doing nothing or we're trying to do everything. Don't ever feel guilty about delegating certain tasks to other people. You do what God's gifted you to do and let them do what God's gifted them to do. And guess what? And enjoy your life. And enjoy your life. And guess what? It eliminates the stress. So Moses listened. Moses listened. And you know what? Things got easier. People help bear one another's burden. In fact, the word is used of, of the gift of helps. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It has to do with helping one another, burden one, carrying one of those burdens. Hey, we're not stressed out. We're not all uptight. We're not burned out. We don't want to bag everything. We're not going to quit church. We're not going to quit going to Bible studies. We're not going to quit doing all these things because I've got too many things going on. Hey, stop doing some of the other stuff. Second thing is, we need to realize that God wants to help. He wants to help. And that has to do very simply with this. We need to pray. Prayer is an essential therapy to help us through stressful times. You cannot get through a stressful situation without praying. Let me ask you something. You ever been all burned out, man, stressed out about a problem you had in life? You called a friend, you talked to your friend. And if they're really a friend, they didn't add to the stress. You know how that is, man. I mean, you don't want to call anybody. It just makes it even worse than it was beforehand, right? You know, one of Job's friends. Oh, man, I'm going through this thing. Well, you should be. You're an idiot. Oh, <laughs> thanks a lot. You know, but you called a friend. You talked to a friend. You're going through this. You're wrestling with the decision. And have you ever hung up the phone and said, man, I feel great now? Hey, let me tell you something. There's, that, that's a great feeling, right? When you can share your burden with someone else. But let me tell you something that's even better. Have you ever called a friend and said, boy, I'm in trouble or I need help or this is causing stress in my life and they said, hey, you know what? I can help you. I'm not just going to listen to you. Listening's good. That's great therapy. But when someone says, I'm not only going to listen to you, but I'm going to do something to help you. That's the kind of friends that we need. Right? That's true. And he's right. Every now and then he throws out an appropriate amen. <laughs> if he did it more often, we'd all be yelling amen, and that would be fine with me, because, man, we're looking at a bunch of... <laughs> but we need to pray. It's essential. We have to pray. We can turn to Christ. We can ask the Lord to help us in a stressful situation, 
And not only is he available, we can boldly go with, with confidence before the throne of grace in order to find grace in a time of need. We can go into his presence. We can ask him whatever it is. He said, ask whatever you wish in my name and it shall be given unto you. We have, an, we have an intimate relationship with a God who cares about us in every area of our life. We can turn to him. We can pray. We can ask him. And you know what he says we'll do? He says he'll make our path straight. Let me ask something personal. You stressed out about something? When was the last time you prayed about it? Instead of running around, leaning on your own understanding, when was the last time you just said, time out, stop everything, I need to pray? Lord, I'm running around with my head cut off. I just realized I'm trying to handle this all myself. How foolish of me, because I don't even know what direction to turn next. Help. It's a good thing Peter didn't rely on his own reasoning when he was walking out in the water and he started to sink. Let's see, I'm starting to sink. Now, if I understand my physics correctly and I understand the gravitational pull, I think I'm going to be dead in about two seconds. No, I think I'll just go, help, help. And that's what he did. And the last thing, recognize the importance of some time away from the work. This could be a great weekend conference, actually. Taking these three points and develop them until they actually would be applicable in our life. And I've thought about doing that in our retreat. I think it would be a great thing to do. And the reason, very simply, is that every one of these things, we can go in-depth. The Bible has so much to say about every one of these areas. But the last one is to recognize the importance of some time away from the work. Everybody needs a break from whatever it is that's burning you out. Your kids are burning you out? Hey, find some friends who will watch your kids for the weekend and just get away for a little while. Everybody needs a break. Everybody needs time out. Everybody needs to stop. You know the best thing about going to Tijuana for the day? And there was only one good thing about it <laughs> that I could think of. Was that, we, no, we ate before we got there. No, that wasn't it. The best thing was, we got to spend the whole day together. No one around. Our kids weren't there. Friends weren't there. Phone wasn't ringing. Nothing else. Just the two of us. And knowing each other for 20 years, you know, you got to do some catching up. Just to sit in the car and to drive and to talk and to spend time together and to rest and to relax. That was a great day. Didn't cost very much. Nothing Mexico does. <laughs> but it didn't cost very much. Now, this is going to upset some of you, but I'm going to read it anyway. And I'm going to wrap everything up together on this. Let me ask you a question, though. When was the last time you just took a walk? When was the last time you just sat out back and read a book? Or sat in a nice big hot tub of water? Or played with one of the kids? Or took one of your kids by themselves and just went and grabbed an ice cream or something? One of the things my son and I like to do is when, I, when I'd run, I'd just go run and he'd ride his bike next to me. It was a time where we could do something just together and spend some time together. It didn't cost anything and it didn't take much time. But we just enjoyed being with one another. When was the last time you flew a kite or you walked along the beach or you stopped just long enough from trying to make everybody else's decision in life and watch the sunset? I just went out on a clear night and looked at the moon and the stars and just saw how awesome God is. 
and all the things that he's got going on around you while you're all stressed out trying to take care of everything yourself. When was the last time you did that without feeling guilty about it? Because there's so many more things to do. So little time, so much to do. We live in a very strange society. We don't know how to enjoy one-minute vacations. We don't know how to enjoy just being alive and thanking God for that gift. I like what this is. This is a, a monk who was in a Nebraska monastery. He wrote this later on in his life. Some of you will be offended by it. And most of you will be the workaholic types that don't really understand what he's trying to say. But stop and think about it just for a minute before you come to any conclusions on what the message is. He said, if I had my life to live all over again, I'd try to, I'd try to make more mistakes next time. I wouldn't worry about being perfect and making sure that everything I did was exactly right. He said, I'd relax, I'd limber up, I'd be sillier than I have been this trip. <laughs> so you're going, oh, that's not possible in my case. I know, of very, I know of very few things that I would take seriously. I would take more trips, I would be crazier, I would climb more mountains, swim more rivers, I'd watch more sunsets. I would do more walking, and I would certainly do more looking. I would eat more ice cream, and I'd eat less beans. And I'm sure the other monks would appreciate that, too. <laughs> Nothing like being cloistered up there with the monk that's eating a lot of beans. He says, I would have more actual troubles and fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who lives life sensibly, hour by hour and day after day. Oh, I've had my moments, and if I had to do it over again, I'd have many more of them. In fact, I try to have nothing else, just moments, one moment after another, instead of living so many years ahead each day. I've been one of those people who never go anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water, bo hot water bottle, a gargle, a raincoat, an aspirin, and a parachute. If I ever had to do it over again, I would go places, do things that travel lighter than I ever have before. If I had my life to live over again, I would start barefooted earlier in the spring and I would stay that way later into the fall. I would play hooky more. I wouldn't make such good grades, except by accident. I would ride on merry-go-rounds. I'd even pick some daisies. Interesting. Man, we live in a society. I th you know, sometimes I get real concerned. I look out at your faces and I get real concerned that you can't smile because you're afraid your face might crack and fall on the floor. <laughs> I get concerned about that. Why are people so uptight? And besides that, you know, the janitors have to clean it all up. <laughs> but why do we get so uptight about everything? Why is everything so serious? Why can't you enjoy your relationship with the Lord, being secure in the knowledge that everything and anything that happens in your life, He is in control and He allows it for His purposes and for His glory, and that His promises that He made to you that He's going to keep because He cannot lie. He's going to come back one day for all of His people. And if, and, and if before that, if He calls us home, that's where we're going. Why can't we relax and enjoy the promises of God knowing that He's in control? Why are we so stressed out like those in the world who have no faith and have no hope? Why is everything so, so serious? There are some things in life that are non-negotiable. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
You must have a relationship with him, and once you do, you can begin to trust him. There are a lot of other things in life that God gives us tremendous freedom. Where you work, where you play, where you go to church, how many kids you have, whether you get married, whether you don't get married. All those things God leaves at our discretion and gives us freedom to choose. And how wonderful it is to have a God who allows us to, the choice of making decisions that sometimes don't turn out the way we think when we get into them, but he still allows us to do that. Knowing that there are a few areas that are non-negotiable, but he gives us freedom in every other area. If you're stressed out, I would suggest that you do these three things. Reject the notion that you're the only one that can do the job because you know all that is is pride. There are others who can do it. God has gifted others to do it. And if you weren't here, it would still get done. And the reason everything has to be your way is because it's just simply pride. No one else can do it right because you never let anybody else have the chance to learn and to grow and to do it. Back off, leave them alone, and let them enjoy life too. Just because you're uptight don't mean you have to make everybody else in life uptight. The second thing is remember that he's always available and that you need to pray. You stressed out about something today? You need to jot it down and you need to start praying about it. Lord, I need your help. I need to seek your counsel. I need to seek your word. I need to, to talk to godly men and women who will turn me to your truth that you find here in this book. And the last thing you need to do, you're burned out, man, take a break. Go out for lunch. Take a walk. Enjoy the sunset. Read a book. What? Go to Tijuana. I don't know. Whatever works for you. And you know what? And he promised you this. That he will make your path straight. He will eliminate the stress in your life. He's dependable. He's reliable. And he's trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, thanks for such practical insight as to uh, the causes of stress in our society. It's no wonder we live in a stressful society. We live in a people who have turned their back on you. We live in a society that has tried to in every way possible from taking prayer out of school to trying to eliminate nativity scenes and government complexes. We, we live in a society that is in every way trying to eliminate the reality of your existence. No wonder we're stressed out. Because where there is no God, you tell us that the people do what seems to be right in their own sight. And there's anarchy, and there's chaos, and there's turmoil, and there's stress. How foolish we are, because the evidence of your existence is overwhelming. You tell us that the heavens declare your handiwork, that all of creation shouts that there is a creator God. Lord, we need to be people who have come to the, recognitions that, the recognition that not only do you exist, but that you love us and you care for us, and you've demonstrated this love and that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to remove all the stress from our life by relying on him and trusting in him. Lord, you tell us that we're to trust in you with all of our hearts. No secret areas, no holding back, but just totally trusting in you, believing in you for our future, for our present, and for all of our hopes and dreams. That we're not to lean on our own understanding and human reasoning, but we're to turn to your word that you've given us so clearly to teach us about you and about your principles and commandments and, and, and the consequences for disobedience. And you tell us as we do that, that you will make our path straight. That you will give us, as Jesus said, a life that's abundantly worth living.
and that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we could ever ask or think because you're the God of this universe. And the problems that we struggle with today seem like nothing in light of eternity. And yet you still care about those day-to-day struggles. And you ask us to turn to you in prayer, to recognize that you're there, that you want us to do that, and that you not only want us to do it, that you listen, and also that you respond. What a privilege it is to carry everything to you in prayer. And Lord, we just pray too that for many of us who don't know how to relax, that we can just stop and enjoy life as you've meant it to be enjoyed. Not irresponsibly, not at the cost of others around us, but to enjoy life as you've meant it to be enjoyed. To enjoy your creation, to enjoy what you do, to enjoy your presence in our life, to enjoy our relationship with you and relationship with one another. And we just thank you that your promise is that you will remove the stress from our life if we just apply these simple principles. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.